Again, uh, some preliminary stuff Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was unable to stay for that, but uh, was able to gather, and, and we had our, our meetings in the morning, just some, some business, and then worship, and a larger meeting, and a lot of discussion uh, Tuesday afternoon. And uh, I spent all day Monday trying to get to Detroit and all day Wednesday trying to get from Detroit to here. Detroit, it's only, you know, it's just right north, but the planes don't fly in a straight line. They've got to go here and there. Um, and, and, you know, I did a lot of, did all my prep work. I'll tell you the secrets of a minister. We'd go and we'd take notes and, and we'd uh, look at the scripture and, and look at uh, language if necessary and the uh, commentaries. You go through all this stuff, and you gather all your information, and then you sit down and you write this, um, hopefully something that is uh, uh, true to the word and, and interesting enough to keep your attention. And I got back, I sat there, and I looked at it, and I said, boy, did I make this passage complicated. I just, <laughs> I put all this stuff together, and I said, ah, man, this will be good. And then I went away, and when I came back, I thought, nobody's going to understand this. And then I, I looked at the passage again. I sat there, and I said, it's really not that hard. It's really not that hard. There are only two things that we've got to know from the passage in Colossians today. So I started, you know, scratching stuff out and jumping around. And there's two points. Two point sermon, okay? If you don't understand it when you walk out, um, shame on you, okay? Because so only two points, it ought to be easy. So let's stand up and I'll read the Word of God. Stand if you're able. Heavenly Father, come upon us that we might understand what your word says. And not just in our minds, Lord, but in our hearts to that point to which it flows from our mouths. It flows from our hands and our feet. We are not ashamed of the gospel, not afraid to take it, not afraid to face what is out there, but also excited to enjoy being part of the body of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, is there anything lacking in Christ's afflictions? Is there somehow that the work of Christ on the cross was insufficient? Well, no. That's, that's not what Paul is saying, and that's one of the things that we'll touch on. And I'll show you in a minute. Verse 25. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints." To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you, the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, with which mightily works within me. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Two things. If you're a note-taker, this is, this is, here are the two points. There's a struggle to present the word of God. And two, we will never reach all that God has for us until we are united with Christ. 
It is a struggle to present the word of God. We must be united with Christ. Okay? Well, can we go home now? No, no, no. We can't go home now. Okay? There, I've never in my life, I don't recall, it's ever been easy to present the gospel. It's never been a breeze. I never walked away from a time where I was sharing Christ where I thought, boy, that was so simple. I mean, that was easy. There weren't any barriers there. I mean, every once in a while, you'll get somebody who actually comes to you and asks about it. But there's always the barriers that we have. Now, sometimes those barriers are things that we make ourselves. We don't do our homework. We're not ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Barrier number one, we just don't do our homework. Barrier number two, there is a a, a sinfulness in, in each of us. So we are separated either by pride, by our own um, prejudices, by uh, uh, could, could be anything along those lines, which keeps a little bit of distance between us. And even though those words come out of my mouth, remember, it's not what I say, it's what you think I've said. Is that what communication is about? It's not what I said, it's what you think I said. Because somewhere between my mouth and your ears and your brain, uh, things are easily jumbled up. Of course, it could be from my brain to my mouth that it gets jumbled up. If you remember uh, the love and respect, the, the marriage thing we did. Women have, uh, what, uh, pink ears and pink glasses, and men have blue glasses and blue ears. And we say, you're speaking pink. I just don't understand what you're saying. And the ladies say, well, you're speaking blue. I don't know what you're saying. And the men are like, well, isn't it clear enough? Isn't it simple enough? And no. Okay? We just, there's just a little bit of communication uh, dissonance between everybody because we are individuals. And when it comes to presenting the word of God, you might be dealing with preconceived notions on the other person's mind. Maybe they're involved uh, in, uh, you know, they've grown up in some place that really didn't teach the word very clearly, or they've never heard the word. They have a distorted view of the word of God, a distorted view of, of Christ and his sufficiency. I mean, that's some of the things that Paul was dealing with. So there are always barriers when you want to present the word. There's always a struggle about it. And Paul has his own struggle here because he's in prison. And he's writing this letter of encouragement and letter of teaching and clarification to this church, a Colossae group. He's, he's not mad. Remember, it was planted by Epaphras. And Epaphras meets Paul and says, I've got these issues at the church. Can you help me, Paul? And Paul says, well, sure. And he writes this letter. We come to verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. This was Paul's attitude. No matter what the struggles he faced, he rejoiced in them. You know, I, I, I can't imagine Paul and all that he suffered and all the miles that he put on those sandals and all the places that he saw. I mean, how many nights was he, he uh, spent in the sea? How many times was he shipwrecked and beaten with rods and whipped? All those times and what? He says, I counted all joy for the cause of Christ. Here he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Okay. Just think about that one. Write that on your palm. Okay, rejoice in your sufferings. And then don't wash that hand. And every time you suffer, I want you to look at that and go, oh, am I joy rejoicing? It's hard to do. It is very hard to do. But yet Paul, because he understood who Christ was and what he was doing in his life, he could rejoice in those sufferings and all that he was uh, going through. Why? Well, you remember what Paul was like. Saul, we'll go back to Saul, the blasphemer, the Christian hater, the persecutor of the church, 
the great legalistic individual who said, you know, if anybody had the, the right to, to boast in their accomplishments, it was I. I mean, I was born in the right tribe. I, uh, I did the right things, all those things. But Paul says, you know what? But I was the chief of sinners as well. And it was God's grace that came to me. It was God's grace that was poured out into my life. And he said, I deserve damnation, but what do I get? I get heaven. Now, if you really dwell on that, if you really spend your time thinking about that, that should make you happy. I deserve damnation, but I get heaven. Hmm. Whenever we look at individuals who are going to do works for the Lord, who the Lord has called to something great. He helps them, helps them, makes them, I don't know what word you want to use, makes them understand that even though they come with a great set of gifts, they come maybe from a great background. Moses came from Pharaoh's court. He was in line to be the most powerful man in the world at that time. But the Lord humbled him. The Lord helped him, made him understand that all he really had to rely upon was the Heavenly Father. Made him understand that what he deserved is not what he got. He deserved damnation. He got heaven. We look at Gideon. And the Lord comes to Gideon and says, Lord, Gideon, Gideon, you're going to save Israel. And Gideon, you can just imagine, (laughs) me save Israel? I'm from the least of my family. I'm a nobody. Okay? And the Lord says, Gideon, you don't have to be anybody. You just have to be obedient. Moses came from the seat of power. But he had to be obedient just the same as Gideon, who came from nowhere, had to be obedient. And what did the Lord do? Well, Gideon's there, and he says, "Uh, you're going to save Israel? Great, give me an army. Um, And the Lord says, I'm going to give you an army. And there's all 30-plus thousand soldiers there. This is is a pretty good army. It's not quite enough to beat the enemy. Uh, But the Lord says, well, I think you've got too many soldiers. And you can imagine Gideon going, no, Lord, I don't have enough soldiers. He says, no, you've got too many. We're going to weed them out. Everybody afraid? I want you to go home. Now, now, imagine that. You're about to face, let's say you've got 30,000 troops. You're about to face 100,000 well-trained troops. Everybody afraid? Go home. Who's going home? I'm going home, okay? So a big portion leave. And then uh, how they drink the water, another portion leaves. And Gideon's got 300. Well, it turns out that they didn't even have to fight. They had to stand around the camp, blow horns, break lamps. The enemies killed themselves. See? You have to be obedient. You have to be obedient. Paul rejoices in his suffering. Now, he says for for. And my flesh I do share on my behalf of his body in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's affliction. As I said, there's nothing lacking in Christ's affliction. But understand, as we, the body of Christ, take the gospel into the world, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution. Why? Because they can't get to Christ. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. They can't reach him. They can reach us. And they will persecute us, and we will face opposition. Whether it is subtle or whether it is overt, we will face opposition when we present the word of God. Now, Paul says, I'm I'm willing to do anything for Christ. And as he writes in Timothy towards the end of his life, he says, I have been poured out like a drink offering. I have lived my life for Christ. I have done everything for that purpose. And I am, in a sense, emptied. 
Harper's Magazine, September issue, 1875. Not that I was reading old Harper magazines, but I found this. Story of told of Pusa, who was a Chinese potter. Pusa was ordered to create the most beautiful porcelain that had ever been created in China. The emperor had told him to do this. So he tried long and hard and, and just was never satisfied, never satisfied. And this was eating at him. He could never produce something that was beautiful enough to please the emperor. So in, in a fit of despair, as he fired the last batch of pottery, he threw himself into the fire on top of the pottery and killed himself. As the fires burned out and they pulled out the pottery, that pottery was viewed as the most beautiful pottery in the kingdom, in the empire at that time. He had poured himself out onto that pottery. And for some reason, it came out very beautiful. Well, see, that's what we do. We pour ourselves out in the work of the kingdom. We don't throw ourselves into the fiery furnace. But yet we pour ourselves out. We present the word of God. We face opposition. But it is in that sacrificing, that pouring ourselves out, that the Lord does something in us. See, we each come with a great set of gifts. And you think, well, I don't have any gifts. Well, yes, you do. And the Lord wants you to develop those for his glory. He wants you to develop those and work on those and dig into his word so that we understand what it is he calls us to do, how he has equipped us, and how we might serve him. But also to be ready to face the opposition that we will face. Now, do we have to supplement Christ's sufferings? Is not his work sufficient? Is the Lord demand from us something else? No. But we have to realize we are the body of Christ. Saul on the road. Jesus said what to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Jesus had already ascended then. He was talking about the church, the body of Christ. And it is in that sacrifice, that, that going against the persecution of the world, going against those oppositions that we will face, that there is a beauty and a success in realizing that it's not us. It is the Lord that does these things. Joseph was a Maasai warrior in Africa. He came across on the Great Plains an individual who was walking in the opposite direction. He was a Christian missionary. Joseph begins to talk to him. The missionary shares the gospel of Christ. And it was at that point that his eyes were open to this. And he understood this wonderful grace that the Lord had, had bestowed upon him. And he says, oh, I've got to go back home and tell my people about this. So immediately he sets off. I mean, he's, he's, he's a unbeliever. He comes face to face with Christ. In, in the words of the missionary, he believes, and naturally he goes right off to share what he believes with the people he cares about most, people in his own village. He gets there, and he gathers them and begins to tell them about the love of Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus. And these people don't want to hear it. The men rush him, and they, they hold him, and they hold him down, and the women come up, and they beat him with barbed wire. They throw him outside the camp, leave him for dead. Joseph survives. He heals up. He wonders, what happened? What went wrong? Maybe I didn't, didn't share it right. Maybe I, didn't, maybe I left something out and they just didn't understand it. So he went off into the brush and he practiced again for several days and went back into the village where he was raised. And as he walks in, he is sharing the gospel of Christ and the same thing happens. The men rush out and they hold him down and the women beat him and they toss him outside the camp again. Leave him for dead. He spends days in the 
brush, trying to recover. And miraculously, he lives, and he, he, his heart is just broken. He wants them to know the same, same things that he knows, this wonderful message of Christ. And he says, I have to do it again. I have to practice more and make sure that I remember everything the missionary told me. So the third time, he goes into the village, and, and before he can even get it out of his mouth, they rush him and they beat him, and his last view is that these women are beating him as the men hold him down, and the ladies are crying as they do this. So as he loses consciousness, he thinks, well, this is the end. Well, he wakes up, and he's in his own bed. And those ladies who were beating him are the ones who were caring for him. And they said, you continue to come back even though you faced certain death. This, whatever you said, must be true. And the whole village came to Christ because he faced the persecution and the hardships that were before him. So let's just realize that we will face difficulties. We will face obstacles when we share the gospel of Christ. shouldn't stop us. We're probably not going to be beat and held down and left for dead. We might face ostracization. We might face sneers. We might face not being invited to family reunions because all they don't, all Randy wants to do is preach when he comes to the family reunion. We're not going to have him come anymore. Something like that. You just never know. Verse 27. Let's jump down to that. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Means that the glory that could be yours, the glory that you could know, can only be known in Jesus Christ. You cannot know it anyplace else in this world. You cannot know the blessings and you cannot know the struggles. You cannot know the joys. You cannot know peace unless you are united with Christ. The hope of the glory comes only in Jesus Christ. People make two mistakes. Either they seek the wrong hope or they seek the right hope in the wrong way. The wrong hope, everybody looks for what they want in the world. Looks for what they think that they need. And if they seek it in the world, they will never be satisfied. Sometimes they seek it in religion, but not necessarily Christ. They know that they need a relationship with God. And they do it, they pursue it in ways that they will never find it. You must only pursue it in Christ. How do you know if you've truly found this hope? Well, Rana, I, I, you know, I profess faith. Uh, how do I know? How do I know that I, I'm united with Christ? How do I know that, that this hope for the glory is, is, is within me? Well, does the love that he has showed you overflowed in what you do? You begin to love him more than you love the world and him and, and the things that he calls us to. Do you love more and more and more as you grow in that relationship? The Puritan Thomas Adams said, let us use the world, but let us enjoy the Lord. Let us use the world. Let us enjoy the Lord. Remember, we're not home. This is where we live right now. But this is not our home. See, he has brought all of Christ's benefits to bear on those who belong to him. And that is us. And if we look for it in other places, if we look for what our hearts so desperately desire in other things, we will never find it. We will never be satisfied. That hope, that fulfillment, those riches only come in Christ. 
Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, relates it this way. He says, there was a man who heard of a great physician, and he had a desperate illness, and knew that this physician could heal him. So he went to the physician's office, and he pounds on the door, and they open up and say, I'm here to see the great physician. And, and the assistant says, well, I'm sorry that he's not in today. In fact, he, he has gone on a trip and won't be back for a while. And the, the man says, I will wait. I've got this disease, and, and I know he has done extensive research, and I know that, that he is the expert in this field. He understands it. I will wait until he comes back. And the assistant says, well, I know everything about it. You know, I've read the books. I've read the journal articles. I've got the medications over here. And, it, and the man says, no, no, no. I must wait for the physician. He says, well, uh, I can bring in others who have been healed in the same way, and, and you can talk to them. He says, no, I must wait for the physician. I cannot be satisfied with the books that he has written. I cannot be satisfied with the words from others that talk about how good he is as a physician. I must know him. I must meet him. He says, I dare say that you as his assistant, very good, but you are no use to me. I want to see the doctor. But here's a person who's been cured. He says, that's no good. I want to see the doctor. The same thing is true when we look at the world. And we seek out the riches. He said, there are a lot of false riches out there. There are a lot of people who will tell us about things. We need to see the doctor. We need to pursue Christ because he understands our sickness. He understands what we have gone through. He knows how to heal us. Don't be a disciple of me. Be a disciple of Christ. Don't just take my word for it. Go to the word of Christ and find the life that is there, the riches of the glory that Christ offers for us. Anything else will fall short of those riches. Know Christ, know him crucified. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, to know Christ and him crucified, to be united with Christ. There are many impostors out there. There are many half measures out there. There are many things that uh, vie for our time, our attention, our allegiance. But they are not the doctor. They are not the great physician who can heal this heart. In fact, who can put in a new heart, a heart that has been washed in his very own blood. We come to you today, Lord, and we want no imitation. We seek nothing that the world offers as to satisfy what we long for, because we long for Christ. We long to be united with Christ. We long for the riches of his glory that you would make those known to us as believers, Lord, that you would rain them down upon us, that we might use them for your glory, that we may walk in paths of obedience, and, Lord, that you might be seen. We know we will face opposition. We know that there are barriers out there to the proclamation of the gospel, even, even works of compassion, Lord. Some people will put up defenses. Some people will make it difficult for us to act in loving and compassionate ways towards them. But, Lord, don't let us be dismayed. Don't let us be deterred. 
Don't let us ever be ashamed of what you have done and what you call us to do. That we would live boldly for Christ. Because there is none other that has the answer for all that the world needs. Lord, come upon us. That we would know the power of the cross of Christ. The power to change lives. The power to face any opposition. For nothing can stand in the way of the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing once again the mighty...